Happy Father's Day. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really great to be back at Northgate, back in Lanark County. Some familiar faces, which I haven't said hello to. Some, some new faces as well. It's nice to see. Yeah, it's great to be back. And uh, I won't bore you too much with what, what we've been up to the past while, but as Dan said, please come to, uh, come to our house Wednesday night, and maybe I'll just share a little bit. But yeah, we've been in South Africa, and Dan messaged me, and he said, would you like to share? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And he said, or I said, what should I share about? And he said, very specific, talk about Jesus. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Jesus this morning. Um, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by Jesus, and I really love him. And we work with, uh, I guess I'm spoiling a little bit, tried to keep the, the spoilers for you to come on Wednesday, but we, we work a little bit with um, a Bible school with Youth with a Mission, and uh, people from all over, South America, North America, Europe, different parts of Africa, different parts of Asia, and the last uh, school we were part of this past year, I, I missed the testimony time, so I didn't hear anyone's life stories, and I was always, and then I would just get to know them a little bit throughout the year, hear more about their lives, and I was always amazed by like what they were taken out of or who they had become based upon their past, whether it was something big like drugs or their parents died when they were little or whatever. Just like how Jesus has transformed people's lives from all over. Like I don't have anything in common with most of the people I work with other than Jesus has changed us. So I love to talk about it. So let's, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, I think I have a different Bible translation than many of you might, but please turn with me to Luke 4. We're going to look at the temptations of Jesus. Somehow we'll relate it to Father's Day, maybe. We'll see. (laughs) Okay. If you're all there, uh, I'll read Luke 4, 1 to 13. So... Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you. And they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So Jesus was tempted. It's not often we think about. And I told somebody that I was going to speak on these temptations of Jesus, and Jesus being tempted. And... They said, well, can we really relate to Jesus? Like, doesn't he have a little bit of an advantage, being God? Like, can we actually relate to Jesus? He was tempted, so am I, but I, 
I don't think I can overcome the temptation like he did. Which is exactly why we should talk about it. I was so happy when they said that. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, Christians have believed that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's a mystery. And so often we emphasize Jesus being God that we, we don't really think about Jesus being a human being with flesh, blood running through his veins. And if you think about it, we have a lot in common with Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus being um, learning obedience through suffering, Jesus joining in our suffering. And we don't know a lot about the first 30 years, but we do know that he was a real man, a real human being. I don't know if they had diapers back then, but if they did, Jesus's was changed. You don't think about that often, do you? <laughs> Jesus had to learn to walk. He, he had to learn to speak. He didn't get a special cop-out where press a button and he can speak fluent Aramaic, Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever. He had to learn these things. He had to learn the, the scriptures. He probably memorized the Bible like many other Jewish boys his age would have. He's a human being. He had brothers. And uh, one thing I'm uh, remembering as I come back home is if anyone's going to drive you crazy, it's your brothers. <laughs> Jesus had brothers. Jesus was tempted. I have brothers. I'm tempted. You probably have siblings. Jesus learned a trade. We know he was a carpenter of some kind, whatever that looked like 2,000 years ago. He had to learn that. It wasn't a special download from heaven where he was instantly the greatest carpenter, I don't believe. He was in his father's workshop, working away, learning how to be a carpenter. Jesus went through puberty. We don't often think about that. And when the time was right, Paul says in Galatians, like when the time was right, he became a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. And he traveled around Galilee. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing people, discipling common people, hanging out with prostitutes, getting a lot of people angry. (laughs) And eventually he was killed. And we believe that He was killed for us, to atone, to reconcile us back to God, to destroy evil, to destroy death. But before all that, he gets baptized. And at the very end of Luke 3, uh, at the end of his baptism, Luke tells us that a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. And then we get the passage that we just read. He's being led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and what is the first thing he hears? If you are the Son of God. Just before, the last voice he heard was, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The next voice, if you are the Son of God, do this. Which voice is he going to believe? Does Jesus instantly recognize that this is a different voice? Well, we see... Somewhat clearly that he does eventually, but what was that first time hearing the voice, you know? He was a human being as well. And it says he was hungry after 40 days. Wow. <laughs> a few, a couple of years ago when I was, I guess, an intern at Northgate, it was a great summer, we did this discipleship uh, thing with Caleb Clausen. Stefan and Elijah Rastel. And we went out to uh, the island on Silver Lake. 
And it was like this adventure trip. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we got the boat out there and we were dropped off. We didn't take anything with us except, I think, like these little reflector sleeping bags. And we found some old abandoned tents on the island and put them up. And we didn't eat anything. I think Elijah caught a snake and we ate it. It was disgusting. And I remember <laughs> we tried to talk. We tried to pray, like, let's do something spiritual. Let's talk. Let's hang around the campfire and exchange stories. And every time it came back to, imagine a nice piece of beef. Like, it's so easy to think about food when you don't have food. So imagine 40 days, Jesus, hungry. He's a human being. He needs food. He's hungry. And the devil comes along with a very applicable temptation. And it's not just about food, I don't think, this temptation. It's a lot, it's a lot deeper than that. Like, what kind of Messiah was Jesus going to be? Was he going to just perform miracles for his own gain? Would he be submitted to his father? And, and do what his father wanted him to do? Or would he just go his own way, make all the stones into bread, maybe make people happy? Would he trust his father and not give in to the temptation? Perhaps that's what temptation really boils down to. Do we trust our father and what he wants for us? And Jesus does. He doesn't give in. He, he holds on to his father. He holds on to the trust that is between them. And it reminds us of another story, the first story, or maybe the second, of the Bible back in Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, they're by this tree, and the devil comes to them as well. And he tempts them, and he wants them to eat something they're not supposed to eat. And here we have the devil coming to Jesus, trying to tempt him to eat something he's not supposed to eat. And unlike Adam and Eve, unlike us, Jesus didn't give in. He was victorious, he doesn't give in where so many of us have failed. And then this, the second temptation, he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. So it's another big if. The promise of short-term gratification in exchange for the big if. And most, most scholars think that the root of this temptation is not just bowing down and worshiping Satan, but it's joining in the ways of Satan, perhaps tempting Jesus to, to rise up and create an army and overthrow Rome and become the king, become the Lord in a different way, a way of a, a human crown rather than a human cross. It's the temptation to do things the easy way, to do things Satan's way, Instead of being submissive to his father, instead of trusting his father in the plan that was, that was made for us. Would he give in? Would he trust that his father's plan would work out? Or maybe he could do this another way. And again, Jesus doesn't give in where so many of us have failed. And perhaps at this point you're thinking... Uh, you're just proving your own point about Jesus not being relatable. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. And then, another temptation. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, the, the tallest point of the temple. Throw yourself down. It's a question. Would Jesus be the kind of Messiah that does unnecessary miracles to get attention. Perhaps it would be quicker to, to show people, hey, I am the Son of God. I am your Messiah. 
Look, I can throw myself down for buildings. I can be caught. Is it a temptation to do the easy, the easy ways instead of the, the hard way? Would Jesus trust his father if he jumped? Satan's very clever, and he's like, he's testing what Jesus wants to hold on to, this trust, this bond. But Jesus realized that, you know, we, we don't test the people whom we trust, because testing is the opposite of trusting, isn't it? If he jumped, he would not prove his sonship so much as he would abuse it. And, once again, do not test the Lord your God. He, qu- he quotes Deuteronomy and he withstands the temptation. He does what so many of us do not do, what cannot do. And it's interesting that every time Jesus refutes the evil one, he does so with a scripture from chapters 6 to 8 of the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. And in chapters 6 to 8, they contain instructions to the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And where is Jesus? In the wilderness. Both Jesus and Israel are in the wilderness. And in the, in the story in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, Israel was in the wilderness for how many years? Forty. Jesus is in the wilderness for how many days? Forty. It's a setup. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Luke just... Luke, Jesus... God is going out of his way to show that Jesus is successful where we have failed. Jesus fulfills what Israel could not do. Jesus fulfills what Adam and Eve could not do. Jesus fulfills what you and I cannot do in our own strength. It's beautiful. I love finding those little things like 40 years, 40 days, wilderness, wilderness. It's so clever, this book. Or should we say, this God. (laughs) And just like Jesus, different passages in Scripture refer to Jesus as the second Adam, right? Jesus is the second Adam who has defeated death, who is a human being, who does what Adam in in Genesis couldn't do, who does what we cannot do. Jesus is the the new Israel. In, In the New Testament, he's often compared to Moses. He's compared to the leaders of Israel, and he shows how he is so much better than than they were in terms of fulfilling what God wanted them to do. And it's really interesting, the end of this passage that we just read. So verse 13 of chapter 4 is, After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So, often we think like Jesus is sort of alone for 40 days, and then at the end, when Jesus is at his weakest, maybe Satan comes along we don't even know what it looked like. Was Satan in the form of a human, or was it just a voice? Who knows? But it, it looks like Jesus was being tempted the full 40 days. And it wasn't just these three temptations. I think these are the ones that perhaps Jesus told his disciples and that were written down, or perhaps Luke chose to make a point. But Jesus was being tempted, it says, after the devil had finished every temptation. Not just three that seem very unrelatable to us. Because I'm not the Jewish Messiah. I'm not being tested or trained for that. But every temptation, I know something about that. Who knows what that every included, right? And it reminds us of a a verse over in Hebrews. If you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews 4. 
In Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, there seems to be a connection. The writer of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Yeah, I love that part. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We think of God often, don't we, like... Even if we've been a Christian for a long time, if the first time, maybe you've been doing really well in your Christian life, you're experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, you're, you're, you're doing pretty well, and then you sin, and so often we think like Jesus is looking down on us with this, this eyes of like disappointment, maybe even bitterness, like you throw it all away after what I did for you. You know, we, we can, like the, the Satan uses temp, uh, Scripture here to tempt Jesus, we can pull all these scriptures in our own minds that somehow condemn us. We're so tempted. Even as we're talking about temptation, the, the real risk of talking about temptation is that everyone feels guilty. But Jesus, he's been through it all. He's experienced, it says, after the devil had finished every temptation... We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our every weakness. So how could Jesus have experienced what we experienced if he was God? Like, how could he not have given in? Or, if Jesus didn't give in, does he really understand the temptation that I go through? Because I give in and he doesn't, so... Can we really relate to him? Should we relate to him? Can we trust him? Can we trust our Father? It's Father's Day. So Rebecca and I, we live in, uh, in Musenberg, Cape Town, South Africa. So it's by the beach. I always used to want to live by the ocean when we were kids. And now I got my, my wish, my prayer. <laughs> and a lot of days, I'm not sure if I want that wish because it's the windiest place I've ever been to. <laughs> you step out the door and you're blown away. Not only by the beauty, but by the wind. Um, often I find uh, one of the, just something that really relaxes me and gives me life and helps me connect with God is I go for a walk along the estuary, this little sort of water system that comes in from the ocean where the salt and fresh water meet. There's all these birds. It's in the shadow of the mountain. And I go out there for a walk in the mornings, I try. And so say I walk out one morning. Well, right, right now it's winter time. Somebody said, you don't look very tanned for being in Africa. I said, it's winter. It is cold. Sometimes it's colder inside than it is outside. Um, and it's, it's very windy. So it's, I wake up maybe at 7. It's dark outside still. I go out, lock all the gates, all the keys. I get out on the street. I'm going to walk over to this park where they have this estuary in the mountain. And some mornings, I'll tell you, it's so windy. It's so cold. I just turn back inside. <laughs> I'll read my Bible today instead of walking around in the cold wet. I'll make some coffee. And I give in to the temptation. But 
You could say that, well, I know a lot about this wind. I know a lot about this cold because I, I see it all the time. But often I give in and I go back home. But what if I had a friend who loved to hike the mountain and every morning he got up, he went out his door, he unlocked his gates, he went into the wind, into the rain, into the darkness, and after three minutes he didn't give in. Instead, he kept walking all along the water, and he wanted to hike up the mountain. Maybe it's like 400, 500 meters tall. He hikes up it in time for the sunrise, and he comes back down and comes home. He doesn't give in. Who, if I asked, who would know more about the cold, the wind, the rain, the darkness? Would it be me who came in after three minutes, or my friend who hiked the mountain for the sunrise? Obviously the friend. It's the same with Jesus, isn't it? We think, ah, he was God. That's like his cop-out card. He doesn't understand. He understands more than we can ever understand. He went through every weakness, every temptation. He experienced this as a man, as a human being with flesh, as a tradesman, as a, as a people who, who knew people better than we knew ourselves. He knows. He knows. He hiked the mountain for the sunrise when you went back inside a long time ago. And he's not angry about it, though. He wants to sympathize with your weakness. Another example. I told my brothers I would talk about them just to get them wound up a little bit. And they said, you can't do that. Tell us what you're going to say. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, so my brothers have started lifting weights. Well, I guess they always have a little bit on and off. In the basement. So imagine this afternoon... As a Father's Day event, we decide to go downstairs and have a weightlifting competition. So, let's say we put about maybe 180 pounds on the bar. Are you, are you familiar with like a bar with the weights on the end? So we put maybe 180 pounds on the bar. And Andrew says, all right, you go first, Jonathan. You go first. So I'm not too strong, but I get down. I'm going to try and lift it up above my head. I get down. I flex everything in me and I grab this weight and I lift it up and I'm shaking and I only get it back to my knees because I'm not very strong. And I... <laughs> how rude. So I get up to my knees and I can't take it anymore and I drop it. And Andrew has a little smile to his face because he knows he's going to win. And he says to David, David, why don't you have a turn? David comes up. He wants to flex his muscles because his girlfriend's watching. And he flexes and he gets down and he grabs this bar. And he, he gets it, and he gets a little past his knees, so he has a little smile, because he knows he's beaten me at least. And he gets up, and he puts it up, and he gets to his chest, and he can't take it, and he drops it. <sighs> Dad's not going to have a turn, because it's Father's Day. <laughs> so Andrew comes up, the grand champion, and he comes, and he approaches the bar, and he lifts it. And he's, he's sweating his brow, and he's, he's shaking, but he gets it up over his knees, up to his chest, and he lifts it up. And for like five seconds, he holds it. And he drops it. And he, he smiles because he is the one who's lifted it up above. And if we were to ask the question, who understands the most about the aching muscles and the pain and the mental fatigue of weightlifting in this situation? Is it me who dropped it at my knees? Is it David who got up to his chest? Or is it, I hate to admit it, 
Is it Andrew who lifted it above his head and kept it there for a few seconds and looked around and he's like, I did it. And he drops it. But (laughs) I'm not saying Andrew is very arrogant or gloating. He wouldn't do that. (laughs) But the point is that Jesus does not do that. Jesus, in this example, right, he's the one who's, he's fought through every temptation, every aching muscle, every fatigue, every mental, you know, doubt when you're lifting weights, you just want to go upstairs and have a drink. He's fought through it all and he lifted it up. So who knows the most about the aching muscles? Who knows the most? It's not me, it's Andrew. It's not us, it's Jesus. Temptation. Jesus really knows. He really knows. How much more so with Jesus to sympathize with our weaknesses? And sympathize doesn't mean, oh, I, I heard your, I don't know. Let's give a bad example here. I'm thinking off the top of my head. I heard, like, if you're sympathizing with someone, you're not saying, oh, I heard your dog died. Ha, ha, ha. That's not sympathy. That is cruelty. That is just sick. But often we think that of Jesus, don't we? We've been tempted and we think, oh, you're going through that again? (laughs) Rather, it's sympathize. The word in Hebrews is he sympathizes with our weakness. To sympathy is to... To sympathize is to know. I would go beyond sympathize and even say he has compassion. It always says that in the Gospels, right? He had compassion on the crowds because he knew what they were going through just as he knows what we're going through. More than we ever could. He's climbed the mountain. He's lifted the weights above his head when we only have a taste of temptation before we give in. He's gone the full way to the other side. And he invites us. He gives us the Holy Spirit and he wants to help us in our temptation. So there is a difference between sinning, obviously, and being tempted. Like, often I feel a surge of guilt even when I'm just tempted about something, which isn't good at all. And I really feel like the past year, a big, I think a somewhat big thing for me, God has been saying, like, don't be so hard on yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. To be tempted is to be human. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. So, who knows what temptations or sins we all struggle with. Maybe it's watching pornography. Maybe it's cheating on your taxes. Maybe it's the temptation to be selfish when my wife wants me to get up and get her a glass of water and I just got comfy. Maybe I really want to give something to someone and I really feel impressed. Like, hey, you should go give that whatever to that person and I don't want to because I'm lazy and it's going to cost me something. You know, whatever the, the breadth of temptations we experience are... Jesus went through it. He's lifted the weight above his head. And what is, what is the root of these temptations? I guess I touched on it a few minutes ago. But just like Jesus, when we are being tempted, we're being challenged to lose our trust in our Abba Father. Like, Satan almost tricked Jesus into thinking, hey, maybe if I don't follow my father's ways, maybe if I don't submit to my father and trust him, trust his plan, that things will be easier, things will be better. And isn't that the same? Like, maybe if I could just have sex with that person over there, my life would be better. Instead of trusting 
in my father and the wife he has given me or the situation I am in. Maybe if I just had a few more thousand dollars a year, then I could buy this and things would be a little better instead of trusting our father. I'm not saying we should all be apathetic, but most temptations, if not all, boil down to that, don't they? Like, do you trust your father? Do I believe that my heavenly father is who he says he is? Do I actually believe that I am his child and that he actually wants what is best for me? Do we actually believe that he cares about us as a community? He cares about the world. He cares about justice and peace and reconciliation. Do we actually believe these things or do we believe, you know, in the deistic gods of like the 1800s where people believe that God created everything and then he just left? He sort of left the clock in motion, but he's long gone. Do we believe that or do we believe that Abba Father calls us his children, as individuals, as you. Yeah, I think Jesus is tender. Tender. Rather than, you know, running away in guilt and shame in the face of temptation as Adam and Eve did, right? They sinned and they run away. Hiding from God. We should run towards God. What is that verse that I just read said? It's, it said, uh, But one who has been tempted in every way, speaking of Jesus, as we are yet without sin, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Knowing that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, he sympathizes with all our weaknesses, it leads us to want to run towards him. When we're completely overcome with our failures, you know, we're wondering if we can carry on. Maybe sometimes you just get overwhelmed by your own shortcomings, your own mistakes in the past, your own faults. Or maybe you're surrounded on, by temptation on every side. You just close your eyes and you... You imagine Jesus, you picture his face, whatever he looks like, and you look deep into his eyes, and he says, I know what you're going through. I was also tempted. I know what it's like to be a human being. And like a good older brother, which the New Testament describes Jesus as, our older brother, like a good older brother, you see him reach out his hand to you with with those tender eyes. The kind of person who, you know, you can just be yourself around. One of those people. And you reach out, and he takes it, and he leads you. He leads you to your father. Do we believe that? And if we don't, it's okay. The invitation is fresh next time you're tempted. Jesus is tender, tender. That's what I would describe God as. It doesn't mean there's no discipline or anything like that. The Father's in the room. No, we need discipline. We need to be led into something better because he cares. But tender, God is tender. Jesus knows. 
He knows what you're going through. And he wants to take you by the hand and lead you to, to the Father. He wants you to enjoy Holy Spirit. Hmm. Yeah. So the next time, maybe, you know, you're overwhelmed, you're overworked, you're overspent, overstretched and underappreciated, you're in pain, or maybe you don't want to look at yourself in the mirror because you, you just know what you've done and you don't like it. But the, beauty of, the beautiful thing about the Christian message, about this good news that Jesus invites us into is he's done it before. He's been through what you've been through. And he didn't give in, but he doesn't hold it against you. Rather, he invites you into new life, into this mission to restore, you know, heavens and earth where one day everything will be made right. And we live as that now. Yeah, okay. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, Lord, friend, brother, please help us, please help everyone in this room when we're tempted and even after we've been tempted and we've given in, when we feel condemned, help us to see your face, Jesus. Holy Spirit, lead us to Jesus. Help us to know that that you're tender, that you've been through what we've been through, that you've You've lifted the weight above your head. You've, you've climbed up the mountain in the wind. Um, yeah, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to know more of your character, to know how much you care for us. And change us, Lord. Thank you that we don't have to give in to temptation as we, as we trust in you, Abba Father. Help us to trust you and love you and each other. Amen.